And I believe that's what Ephesians chapter 4 teaches when it says in verse 26, be angry, that there's an imperative there, that we are to hate sin as God hates sin. And yet, in a strong, passionate, righteous response against anything that violates God's character and steals from his glory, we are to be sure that we do not sin. And that's how I would define righteous anger. You see, unrighteous anger is simply our, our, our lusts and desires that are expressed in sinful ways. But righteous anger is the strong, passionate, righteous response of the heart in hatred against anything that violates God's character. Hello and welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. Please open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you'll stand, I'll be reading verses 21 through 24, and then we'll be moving over to Ephesians chapter 4 and reading verses 26 and 27. So a little bit complex this morning, but uh, I'm sure we can do it. Matthew chapter 5, we'll begin there. Beginning in verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Please be seated. Now, you may have noticed that there's a lot of sin in the world. And in fact, the more media channels open up, the more opportunities there are for people to report on such things, the more sin becomes evident, not only here in our country, but all throughout the world as a whole. And you will have noticed over these past weeks that there seem to many to be lots of things to be angry about. And I would submit to you this morning that there are, in fact, many things to be angry about. You see, we do not want to be, as believers, an emasculated people ruled by the present-day equivalent of the Jedi Council. Anger, fear, these are of the dark side. Instead, we want to be moved to a righteous anger by the sin and evil in the world while rooting out the tendrils of our ungodly, murderous anger that flows from our own selfishness and pride. So what we'll see this morning is that God is completely righteous in his anger against sin, and we are to emulate him in godly indignation while putting off the sinful anger that is the expression of our own lustfulness and pride. Again, God is completely righteous in his anger against sin. 
And we are to emulate him in godly indignation while putting off sinful anger that is an expression of our lustfulness and pride. Now, we began this morning in Matthew chapter 5, and that's where we are moving through the text in the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, we began the discussion of anger as murder, and we really moved through four different thoughts about anger. Anger equals the heart of murder. That's what Jesus said. He said, you, you've heard that it was said to the ancients, certainly it was written in the Old Testament, and then it was interpreted over and over by the, by the religious leaders that to anyone who commits murder, the physical act of murder, is guilty before the court. And Jesus says, essentially, that's true. You certainly are guilty if you commit the physical act of murder, but he takes it further as the law was always meant to be. We looked at several multiple passages in the Old Testament which speak of the fact that God always has looked at the heart. It's never simply been the external act that he committed or that he uh, considers to be sin, always the heart, always the nature of who we are internally. And so Jesus says, just making, making really evident the truth about the law that's always been real, he says, anger equals the heart of murder. When we are angry, that is really the first step towards murder, and God views it as far as its, its origin right, as, as equally uh, evil. So anger equals the heart of murder. And then he moved through a progression. Therefore, he said, if that's true, if anger, if anger does equal the heart of murder, then if one is angry in his heart, then he is guilty before the court, just as the ancients, or just as the Pharisees would have said that if you commit physical murder, you're guilty before the court, Jesus said, well, if anger equals the heart of murder, then if you're angry, you're guilty before a a normal human court. Then he ups the stakes a little bit and says, well, maybe you would say that's not fair. We'll take that to to the Supreme Court, the highest human court, for maybe you're angry or you consider your anger to be uh, justified. I deserve to be unrighteously angry because of something that was done to me, because of other people's sin against me. So you might take that to to the Supreme Court and Well, Jesus said, you're guilty there too. The highest human court, the Sanhedrin at that time in Jerusalem, you're guilty before that court. And then you might have thought, or perhaps the people thought, well, maybe I'll take that to an even higher court. Maybe these courts don't really understand. They didn't get the facts right. They don't really know what's going on. I deserve to be unrighteously angry, so let's take that before a holy God. And it says, if you take that to a holy God, you find that you are eternally guilty before that God. In fact, guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Yes, simply as it were, only for anger in your heart. And so we try to flesh out a little bit what it means to recognize anger as murder and to try to deal with it because we are angry people. And really, we were dealing entirely with unrighteous anger last week. But it seemed good to me, it seems necessary to discuss a little bit what it is to have righteous anger, because the Bible is full of expressions of God's righteous anger, and that can be very confusing to us. In fact, as I mentioned over the uh, anger and, ang- and wrath and other things, is this bothering you like it's bothering me? No? All right. Uh, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it okay, or are we? Not? All right. All right. Well, I'll stay with it, and we'll see how it goes. All right. So... Over 300 times, anger is mentioned in the Bible. Most of them, the vast majority of them, are, of, are mentioned about God. So I thought this morning we would first look at what it means to have a righteous anger. And I believe this is commended to us. That's why we move to Ephesians chapter 4, so you can stay there, that there is a time when it is right to be angry. And yet God has rules for that as well, because not only is God in his holy omnipotence and in his omniscience, not only is he angry as God, but also when Jesus walked upon this earth, when he was here as God and man, he also exhibited anger. So there's different kinds of attributes of God. There are his moral attributes, those things that humans are to emulate. And then there are those that we might call his, uh, this is his purely godly attributes. That is those things that we cannot emulate. Things like his omniscience, the fact that he is all-powerful, that he is everywhere. 
Well, it would seem that anger as an attribute of God is one of the attributes that we are to emulate. This is something that Jesus exhibited when he was on earth. And so we would see it as something that we too are to learn how to exhibit in the proper way, how to be angry. And I believe that's what Ephesians chapter 4 teaches when it says in verse 26, be angry, that there's an imperative there, that we are to hate sin as God hates sin. And yet, in a strong, passionate, righteous response against anything that violates God's character and steals from his glory, we are to be sure that we do not sin. And that's how I would define righteous anger. You see, unrighteous anger is simply our our lusts and desires that are expressed in sinful ways. But righteous anger is the strong, passionate, righteous response of the heart in hatred against anything that violates God's character and steals from his glory. And we'll try to be careful this morning because there are very few times in Scripture when human anger is actually commended, because it would seem that almost always when we try to express anger, there is a sinful component to it. Yet nonetheless, I believe that as with any characteristic, because really anything we do is tainted with sin to some degree, that we are to seek to learn how to be properly angry and not allow that anger to move or to be expressed in sinful ways. So first, let's look at God's wrath. Let's look at God's anger. And certainly we know that he has this. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about God's anger. He says, The capacity for anger against that which is evil and wrong is something which is essentially right and good. And it is because the non-Christian moralists so frequently forget this that those who follow them find themselves in a false position. The pagan idea always is that you are to crucify your instincts no matter what they are, but that is a false asceticism. The Bible never teaches us to crucify a natural instinct. What we are to do with them is to control them, not to get rid of them altogether. And Kenneth Wee says this of the wrath of God. He says, there is a wrath of God mentioned in Scripture who would not love good unless he hated the evil, the two being inseparable, that either he must do both or neither, a wrath also of the merciful Son of God, and a wrath which righteous men not merely may, but as they are righteous, must feel. Nor can there be a surer or sadder token of an utterly prostrate moral condition than that being which is not able to be angry with sin. So let's consider how it is that we might... Do I need to switch this? All right, let's consider how I might switch this, and so you guys can... Wait. All right. Are we on? All right. Let's consider how we might imitate God's righteous anger. What is his anger like? And how is it that we might be able to imitate that? And then we'll try to to move from there as to how we can seek to make sure that our anger does not move over. Our righteous anger doesn't move into sinful anger. And when it does, how do we deal with it? It's a lot to do. We'll see how we can get it done. One, imitating God's righteous anger. And underneath this, there aren't any blanks, actually. So you'll just have to write in whichever of these seem to be most appropriate to you because I'm going to move through them very quickly. God's anger against sin is strong. That is one, one nature of God's righteous anger. Psalm 90.11 says this, Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Isaiah 51.17, Rouse yourself, rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling that you have drained to the dregs. Jeremiah 23.20, The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he's performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days you will clearly understand it. And Revelation 14.10, 
He, that is one who takes the mark of the beast, also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You see, ultimately, eternal hell... The fact that hell is eternal, that it's eternal destruction, eternal punishment, is an indication of the power of the anger of God against sin. It is deep, it is strong, it is continual, and it, it, is, it, is, it is powerful. So that God's anger is strong. God's anger then is, let's pick some characteristics, some things that God's anger is against. God's anger is against disobedience. He's angry with disobedience. Numbers 32.13. 30, So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Deuteronomy 29, 27, Therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the land to bring upon it every curse which was written in this book. That is because the people disobeyed. And you might wonder, well, are we to burn in anger, as it were, against disobedience? Well, I believe that the Bible would have that. Phineas in Numbers 25.7 is an indication of this. This You might remember the story here. It's where the uh, leaders of Moab sent their women down amongst the people so that the people would commit adultery with them, would intermingle with them, and thus bring the Lord's own judgment against sin upon them. And Phineas says in Numbers 25.7, When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation, took a spear in his hand, entered into the tent, and literally speared two of the sinning, uh, sinning people in the midst of their act of sin. And God commends him ultimately in that passage, saying his zeal against sin is something that I commend. And we don't take people and spear them today. Right? And yet even something like church discipline, the fact that we would turn someone over, as it were, to Satan so that the, for the, even the destruction of their flesh so that they might return to the church and repent and recognize these things, this is an indication of a righteous, holy zeal against disobedience. God hates, rightfully so, disobedience because we are disobeying not just some external human law, but when we disobey his laws, which are the reflection of his very character. So God's anger is strong, and God's anger is against disobedience. God is also angry with false worship. Deuteronomy 7.4, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Deuteronomy 32.21, They have made me jealous with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And so when people are worshiping falsely, when they are worshiping anything that isn't God, well, of course, his anger is kindled because he is the only one who deserves worship. And so remember, again, God's anger is bound up in his character and it's bound up in his nature as the eternal, infinite God who is worthy of all of the things that he commands. See, if God isn't that, then he's just a petty little tyrant who gets angry when people don't do what he wants. But that's not the issue. The issue is he is almighty, holy, perfect God. And so since he deserves and must have worship, must have obedience by his very nature, when it doesn't happen, again by his very nature, he must be angry with this righteous anger. Well, there's also illustrations of righteous anger against false worship from, from humans, which God commends. Moses in Exodus 32:19. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. You see, when he'd gone up on the mountain, the people had begun to, to sin, to fornicate, and to, to worship falsely an idol that Aaron had created. He saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He ultimately grinds the calf up into dust and pours it over the, into the water and makes the people drink it. 
He's angry against their sin of false worship because of his passion for the worship of God. Jesus had a similar kind of anger in Matthew 21, 12. Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He tells them, you've turned the house of prayer into a house of sin and into a house of pursuing your own lustfulness through, through earning money through falsely and improperly earning money there in the temple. So we see God's anger against false worship and that that is a characteristic that we are to express as well. Well, God is also angry with irreverence. He is angry when we do things that that are displeasing to him, whether it be in false worship or against his law, even if those things are are seemingly immediate acts. In 2 Samuel 6, 7, you might remember that uh, here David is bringing up the ark and he is supposed to be bringing it up to Jerusalem, and he has it on an ox cart, which was not commanded by God. In fact, it, was, it goes against the command of God. It was supposed to be carried by, by people, by the priests. And so the ox cart, the, ox, the oxen stumble, and the ark is about to tumble to the ground, and Uzzah, who is walking beside the ark, reaches up to touch it. And in 2 Samuel 6, 7, the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. We see a similar thing happen in the case of Moses, a faithful and godly man who, when he misrepresents God before the people by striking the rock instead of speaking to it as God called him to do, that God will not allow him to enter into the promised land. That those acts of irreverence, God views as irreverence against his character, and thus they are worthy of his anger. God is also angry with those who harm his people. Psalm 7, verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself for me, for you have appointed judgment. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. So God is angry, righteously so, with those who harm his people. They are his people. He, is, he has called them. They, they are his family. And so when they are harmed, there is a, a proper righteous anger. We see this evidenced by Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6. As Nehemiah hears about how his own people are selling uh, others of the people into slavery, and, and they are enslaving their very own people for their own gain. Nehemiah 5, 6, it says, Then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry in these words. The people are coming and saying, Our own people are, are enslaving us. What will you do about this? Because I was very angry. And that's a, improper, it seems, in, in Scripture, a proper and righteous anger to see that the other people of God, are when, to see them being afflicted. And, of course, this is the heart of Jesus as well. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, when he there's a man with a withered hand, and he, he asked the question on the Sabbath, wouldn't you take care of a donkey? Wouldn't you lift up your, your animal out of the pit if there was something wrong? And, and he looks around trying to, to gain some compassion for the man with a withered hand, and they were hard of heart. They thought more of their human tradition about the Sabbath than they thought about the man with a withered hand. And in Mark 3, 5, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. See, Jesus was angry that people would, be, would, would refuse to see the plight of his people and would desire for that to be healed. So God is angry with those who harm his people or who do not desire to, to relieve them from harm. God is angry also with those who do not exalt his son. God is angry with those who do not exalt his son. 2 Thessalonians 1.8, dealing out retribution. This is when God comes in his final judgment to those who did not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
to not submit to the gospel, and you need to understand this, and this is something that is not, it's almost never presented when the gospel is presented. To refuse to submit to the gospel is at its essence to refuse to glorify Christ because he is the one who died for sin. So to reject that sacrifice is not only to your own destruction, it is, to, it is a refusal to glorify Christ, the Son of God. And God cannot, does not, will not take that lightly. And it is really that the fundamental reason for his sending people to eternal hell. They refuse to glorify the exalted Son, the one who came to die for them. And because he is the Son of God, God has a righteous anger against those who refuse to exalt him. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll see this even more clearly. There's a true and righteous anger that God has against those who do not exalt his Son, whom he sent, the very Son whom he sent to die for them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, why? I mean, why, why would this be the case? We, they've, this is talking about people who have heard the truth, talking about people in, in, in churches. That would have been true at the time. That's who the writer of Hebrews was writing to, who have heard all about who Christ is, all about what he has done. As there is a certain, verse 27, terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. And, and here's the contrast then. Because sinning against the law of Moses, as we will see, sinning against God's law is a very, is very serious business and draws the anger of God. But there is something, it seems, that even, even the anger of God has levels, right? And there is a level up from disobeying the law of Moses. And so verse 28, anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrifying thing to reject the sacrifice of the Son, to trample underfoot again the sacrifice of Christ, having knowledge of what he's done and refusing to obey. God is righteously, eternally, justly angry against those who reject the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. 
Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.